Hello, I'm welcome to this podcast. I'm going to consider today the interesting question, which moral theory is best at handling moral dilemmas? So it's a general question that underpins a lot of the questions on ethics, because if a moral theory cannot handle complexity, it's not going to be a lot of practical use to us, is it? So let's have a look at three theories and see how they answer this problem of moral complexity. First of all, we have Kantian ethics, and we know that Kant is arguing really that we need to take an imaginative step away from a situation, and then we apply the principle of universalization. So we act so as to create a maxim that can be turned into a universal law for the, so for the whole of humanity, says Kant. And he has a second formula, which is the formula of ends. So act that you treat someone not simply as a means to an end, but always also as an end in themselves. So it's these two formula that we really talk about when we discuss Kantian ethics. Now the problem with a categorical is not that it's a universal law, but that it's supposed to be applied categorically. And that means with no ifs, no buts, no hypotheticals in it. So we can't say, if we're a Kantian, if my friend wishes to go and watch a football match in Germany and needs three days off and needs me to cover for him, then it's okay to lie if the head teacher comes up to me and asks, where is Jimmy? So that is an example, uh, a rather daft one, of a moral dilemma where two goods conflict. There's the good of loyalty to my friend, and there's also the good of not lying or always telling the truth, if we want to put that universal in its positive form. Now, the difficulty with Kantian ethics is that really when you think about it, when you get into situations, you often have a, a, a judgment to make between two things that are actually seen to be morally good. So what you actually do in practice with Kantian ethics is you often slip back into a hypothetical form of reasoning. You say, if Jimmy is wanting to go to a football game and needs me to cover for him, then I will be prepared to lie. And then you get into the situation and you think something like, well, as I'm now faced with this dilemma, I am therefore making a judgment and I'm going to tell that lie, what we call normally a little white lie. So the conclusion really is that Kantian ethics isn't very good at handling complexity because of the stress on this word categorical. If Kantian ethics simply universalizes by hypotheticals, it doesn't encounter this problem. And something for you to think about is this question. Do Kantian categoricals actually slip back into hypotheticals when you encounter 
moral complexity? Actually, I would argue they do. But think that one through for yourself and maybe discuss it. Secondly, let's think about natural law theory. Now, it's interesting to note with the natural law theory that we, we have a much harder form of natural law in Roman Catholic papal encyclicals than Aquinas ever intended. And there's a reason for this. The reason is that the Roman Catholic Church, if you read any of the encyclicals, they normally make reference somewhere to the problem of relativism. And Pope Benedict, in his speech just before he became Pope Benedict, actually refers to a phrase, the tyranny of relativism, the tyranny of relativism. It's a phrase you can quote in your essay because it indicates that the enemy to the Roman Catholic Church is relative truth. And they want to lay hold, lay claim to the source of absolute truth, which is, of course, God himself. And if we follow natural law theory, it's the eternal law of God, that blueprint in the mind of God, which is then revealed to us in two forms. One is the natural law. And the second is the divine law, or in Christian terms, the Bible. So we have a kind of partial insight. We get clues into the eternal law of God. And for this reason, Aquinas argues very strongly that we need to use right reason. We need to use and apply right reason in agreement with nature, says Aquinas. And the secondary precepts, do you remember, those are the precepts of reason that we derive from the five primary precepts, they are applied and they are generated using our human reason. In other words, we have to make a judgment. And this is why phronesis, the Greek word P-H-R-O-N-E-S-I-S, -S, practical wisdom, is so important in natural law theory, natural law ethics, because Without this right judgment, this appropriate judgment, we're not going to get very far in applying the primary precepts to the real world. Now, Aquinas also recognises there is a problem with complexity. And he gives the example of acting in self-defence. If somebody attacks me with a knife, say, on a London street, and to defend myself, I turn around and I stab the person, as it were, not intending, as I set out on my walk, to kill anybody, but doing it in self-defense. Then that moral evil of killing a human being is actually morally admissible. Why? Because my intention is good. My intention is simply to defend myself, or perhaps it might be defending a loved one that I'm walking with. That intention is good. And so we can handle moral complexity by what is called the principle of double effect. And that is used, if you trace through your applied ethics, in utilitarian, uh, in um, the, sorry, in the uh, example of euthanasia, where you can uh, administer, for example, in hospital, a, a doctor can legally administer an addition to a morphine, an increase to a morphine dose, even though they know that the likelihood that is that the patient will die from that morphine dose because the intention is good. The intention is simply 
to relieve suffering and pain. So natural law theory, to sum up, is actually quite good at handling complexity. It's not as absolute as many students sometimes think. And interestingly, and think this one through, it's not actually in Aquinas's form as absolute as the Roman Catholic encyclicals suggest. Now, thirdly, and very briefly, let's just think about utilitarian ethics from the standpoint of John Stuart Mill. This is a two-level form of utilitarianism. It's called weak rule utilitarianism because Mill argues that generally we should follow rules that social experience has determined are going to promote our happiness and happiness generally. So the rules of wisdom, if you like, that come out of experience over the generations. For example, don't put your hand through the flame of a candle. <laughs> so, you know, it'd be a pretty stupid thing to do. Um, you know, there are rules of morality like that. And, and our parents might well say to us, please tell the truth. So the question is, in Mill's system of thought, when can you break what is called this weak rule? Well, the example is exactly the same as in Kantian ethics. We can break the rule when to do so in a particular situation. Our judgment says we will increase utility, either for ourselves or generally the happiness of people. And classically, of course, we'll find that in situations of war. For example, Corrie ten Boom, who wrote a book called The Hiding Place, she and her family used to hide Jewish refugees fleeing Nazi persecution in Germany and they, they, or, 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 or from Holland. And she had this hiding place. So when a Gestapo officer turns up at the door of her house, does Corrie ask the question, are you hiding any, any Jewish people in your, in your cupboard or whatever? She would, of course, tell a lie. Why? Because it serves a higher good. Notice in passing, and it's worth thinking about this, that there is in practice in ethics a kind of scale of values. So we put preservation of life above telling the truth in our scale of values. That is not really something, interestingly, that is considered very much in natural law ethics. But you could adapt natural law ethics, to go back to the previous point, if you wanted to, to insert a kind of scale of values into your principle of double effect and other ways that natural law handles complexity. So Mill, with his two levels of utility, that is generally follow the socially agreed normal rule until your judgment tells you that you're in a really difficult moral dilemma and then exercise your judgment in order to maximize total utility is actually very good at handling complexity. It's a very flexible system. So notice, just to sum up, that the ability to handle moral complexity is one of the key questions in ethics and it comes up pretty much every time we consider anything to do with applied ethics. So it's an issue that it's worth thinking through. And notice Finally, how important this phronesis, this practical judgment is to any moral theory. It's another point you can make in your essays. It's important actually for a Kantian to learn to practice right judgment. It's, it's a key component of natural law ethics. And for 
somebody like John Stuart Mill, we're going to need that right judgment because at some point we slip back, if you like, into being an act utilitarian. And to be an act utilitarian, you're going to need an awful lot of judgment. Now, there are other points about this in each of the sections of the PEPED ethics part of the website. So you can read handouts that I've written on this, exploring this issue in a bit more detail.